Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Public Sector Marketing Show and the first show in season four. You're all very welcome back and I'm delighted to be back with you. Coming up in today's show, I'm talking about the art of communicating bad news in government and public sector. Climate action, the cost of living crisis, food security, war, the great resignation, a looming recession, pandemics, divisive national politics, whatever your bad news, you have no choice but to communicate it and hopefully communicate it well. But how well you do it will be the difference between a sustained public backlash or general public buy-in. With the citizen expecting timely truths and demanding transparency in decision-making, the question I'm posing in this episode is, are you a competent digital storyteller and a responsible guardian of the public interest. Bad news sucks. But bad news spreads faster than anything else online. And even if you're not the author, you'll have to, at some stage, take up your position as the protagonist. So what's it going to be? Bury bad news or build trust with openness? Coming up in the show, why the authentic voice of your organization will win public trust, Facing up to going front of screen in the age of transparency. And I speak to Jim McNamara, who says that fail to listen, prepare to fail when it comes to government and public sector communications. Let's talk about how to communicate bad news well to win public trust. One of the most asked questions I get from clients and students is, how do we deal with the negativity online and how can we back away from it? Now, often they're not too impressed with my response, which is, I want you to lean into the negativity. Even if you're not listening, when the public have a negative perception of individuals or more generally your organization, then that has an impact on you. So aren't you better to be aware of what's being said about you and then to bridge that poor relationship, that negative reputation and the gaps in your communication? This week in an Irish context, we saw one of our junior ministers resign after two weeks of bad news after bad news after bad news. Admittedly, he did come out and answer the questions that were put to him, but two weeks of bad news in political circles is almost going to mark the demise of your position, and that is indeed what happened. Now, there's a a broader conversation that we could have about that situation, but we don't have time in this episode. Suffice to say, when you are hit with bad news, you need to get your team around the table. And if you're watching the show on YouTube or Facebook or on our website, you can see that the image behind me is of a very flabbergasted comms team trying to put their plan together to deal with their current crises. One mistake that government and public sector comms teams make in this situation is that they leave the social media manager or an individual who is responsible for social listening 
outside the boardroom or the team's door, and only at the end of their plan do they hand them the statement or the soundbite that they want to push out. In my professional view, you need to bring digital comms in front and center of your plan. You need to build up authenticity and the public need to get a real sense that if you did wrong, that you're going to correct it, but also that you are genuinely apologizing. And um, there's a phrase in the, the world of communications that's often used and it's lessons have been learned. But that's not good enough if lessons have been learned, but there was a, a lack of oversight that led to this issue. So when it comes to crisis comms and when it comes to building trust and bridging any gaps in that relationship with the citizen, it's really, really important to actively listen to what they're saying because nobody is immune from bad news. And when you tune into the interview with Jim McNamara later on in this episode, you will get great insights into why listening before, during and after a crisis will stand you in good stead. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. There's no doubt that the era of social media has exacerbated crises for government and public sector. Such is the depth of the voice of the citizen. And in previous times, you could just engage with traditional media, work with journalists, get your PR machine firing on all cylinders, and hopefully that would mitigate against the crisis growing any deeper. Right now, the voice of the citizen has never been louder. It's never been more effective. And as I watch social media and the news cycle, it's a real experiment and almost like primary academic research from my desk through my smartphone as I watch how journalists are taking the temperature of the public view, looking at the questions that the public are posing on platforms like Twitter, and then putting them to said individuals and organizations in question. So if you're not actively listening before a crisis may appear, because a good comms pro will be able to anticipate a crisis coming down the track, then you really are going to see that crisis stretch out for far longer than you would care to manage it. You know the phrase, never waste a good crisis? Well, that's what I actually recommend. Don't waste a good crisis. When you are going through one, use the learnings to your advantage all the while being true to the public because in the pandemic, trust in government and public sector increased. We're now seeing that leveling off somewhat. We've also seen a shift in how news and media is being consumed and it is lowering in terms of younger generations and mainstream media. They are now jumping over to social networks. So getting your senior leaders and your spokespersons and your subject matter experts to go front of screen is absolutely critical. There is no way that you can get through a crisis without showing the face and the voice of human beings working in the organization. While it's difficult for the individual in question because they feel personally in the firing line, albeit in a professional capacity, 
it's really, really important that the public see somebody, they hear somebody that they can build rapport with. And if they believe them, then trust will come. And so what I'm saying in today's column is please stop hiding behind your corporate brand, the corporate voice, and the corporate logo. We need to see faces front and center. And if you think about how the shift in social news media has happened even over the past six months, we've got Reels, we've got TikToks, we've got YouTube Shorts, and Reels, of course, spanning Facebook and Instagram. And all of that is all about human interaction and human connection. So when thinking or indeed planning for your next crisis, or if you're listening and watching to this and going through one at the moment, bring it back to your team. Let's go front of screen and let's try and bridge the trust gap with the public. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Jim McNamara with Irish Connections from County Clare, and he is a professor of public communication at the University of Technology in Sydney. His latest research is creating a democracy for everyone, and it's absolutely fascinating. Jim has a, a remarkable career. He worked in journalism, he worked in media research, and he has published 16 professional and academic books and more than 70 academic journals and book chapters. This is a fascinating interview. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Jim, thank you so much for joining me on the show. So you're coming to us all the way from Australia. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Sydney right now. Sydney's wonderful. I've been there once and I landed and within a couple of hours I said to myself, I know exactly why Irish people come and stay and they love it. It's a beautiful city. Um, but I came across you um, from a mutual Australian connection, Rita Harding, and I came across your research and it's absolutely fascinating. And it's creating a democracy for everyone. And what it does, Jim, is that it really speaks to government and politics and citizenship in the digital age. And I think you've done something that is not only really valuable, but actually critical. So just um, as a kind of an intro, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came uh, to writing this particular piece of research. Well, my background, uh, first of all, was in practice. So I came all the way from journalism through into marketing and corporate communication agencies. Um, but mainly along the way, I started to specialize in evaluation of communication. So I'm first of all, mainly known for doing evaluation research. When I was doing evaluation research, both as a practitioner and then as an academic, I started to look at the reasons why a number of communication engagements and campaigns failed, because uh, you do discover there's failures in some. And what I found consistently was that the organizations were missing the mark. They were not understanding their stakeholders and their audiences. In other words, they weren't listening to people. They were launching a campaign without very much evidence. 
and that got me interested in in listening and of course then i have studied politics and we you mentioned democracy well democracy is built around uh, vox populi the voice of the people uh, but as nick caldry at london school of economics writes very eloquently voice has no value if it's not being listened to and to me the problem in modern democracies is not the lack of voice people are speaking up whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter or whether it's the Me Too movement, whether it's ordinary citizens, but how will our governments as well as other organizations listening? And so that began the organizational listening project right back in 2014. Uh, and I've now studied government corporations, NGOs and UN organizations looking at how they listen uh, and how well they listen to their stakeholders. And, you know, I would argue it's never been easier to listen to your people because they have the smartphone and internet connection and the availability of social media and while social media gets a bad rap it, it finally gives the citizen a voice and I would argue that the pendulum of power that we would have seen in kind of 60s 70s 80s has now swung from government you know church and big corporates into the hands of the people and so the internet uh, by its very nature is democratizing society so is it a case that governments are finding it difficult to listen or is it that they're choosing not to listen well it's a bit of both uh choosing not to listen but often it's just a lack of uh, listening skills at scale so we can say that in one sense uh listening has never been easier because everything is digital but in fact in in reality voice has never been easier it's never been easier to spread your voice it actually is harder in many instances because now you've got a cacophony of voices who can speak up anyone can have a say about politics about policies about a customer service or whatever it is and the three things that i talk about that distinguishes organizational listening as distinct from interpersonal so of course we should listen interpersonally that's important but an organization first of all usually has to listen at scale we're often talking thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people who may have a view. So right away, the issue of scale is very important. The second thing is delegation. Because of scale, organizations have to delegate they're listening. They delegate it to social media teams. They delegate it to research companies. Uh, they delegate it to stakeholder engagement teams and so forth. And the third element is that the, the voice of people is, is not very often interpersonal. How many people get to speak to a minister or a, a government official? It's usually mediated. It's mediated through posts online, through letters, complaints, calls to call centers, submissions to consultations. And so the skills for organizational listening are very, very different to the skills of normal outbound communication. We're talking needing to do text analysis of millions of words, potentially. We're talking needing sense-making tools for social media. It's okay to monitor social media, but what if you get 2 million posts? Um, and I studied a public consultation in the UK where they had 127,400 submissions, 10 to 12 pages each over a million and a half words um, and the communication people had no uh, text analysis tools no no machine learning software a human being can't read that amount of material and make sense of it so there are some very particular characteristics of listening at scale for organizations and they haven't got the systems and they often haven't got the tools to be able to do that and you talk about campaigns does this organizational listening at scale equally apply to government policy and then ultimately legislation? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, we need listening to, we talk about dialogue, we talk about two-way communication. Well, if you're not doing listening, you're not involved in two-way communication. You're involved in one-way top-down. But also, if you're in a government, and most of, you know, over 200 of the world's governments are now democracies in one form or another, um, how are you going to form policy uh, that's democratic if you haven't got very advanced listening skills? And what governments typically do is they call for submissions, but then again, who writes submissions? Only a handful of educated, well-organized groups will write submissions. Um, and so we governments are listening, but they're often listening very selectively to a, a noisy elite group. And therefore, the skills of listening at scale, uh, I talk in my writing about the importance of outreach, actually going out proactively and engaging with groups about having advanced software tools where people can log in online, uh, where you can capture that data and analyze that data to identify not just individuals' voices, but how do you know if there's a pattern? Because democracy is about majorities. And so with machine learning and advanced software at the high end, we're able to quickly identify patterns in data. And you're, therefore, you're able to identify majority views, and that can inform policy. So let's apply some of the findings of your research to, to the world right now. And the temperature is literally being turned up on the earth and climate change is a top priority for governments right across the world. We've even seen this week in the US, Joe Biden got some significant legislation uh, passed. Um, communicating bad news or difficult news or change um, can be troublesome for governments. And you know, when it comes near election time, there's a danger that the populist view or the popular approach will win. With climate change, we have to make hard decisions. Um, do you think that governments are actively listening to the science and how do you listen to the science and the people and you know where's the middle ground there I know that's it that's a big question it's a big question and and it is you know no one would pretend that this is easy communicating between let's be honest communicating between partners husband and wife children families is difficult we know this how could we assume that communicating with large volumes of people is going to be easy so i think we can be honest and say this is difficult um but it's a mixture of both because certainly in communication there is a role for information for informing people so governments have an information role and that's where they will listen to experts whether they are scientists or whether they're industry or business people but they also have a role to be listening to the population and they they do the informing in order to create an informed population then hopefully they will receive feedback uh, in return. So it has to be that two-way process where they do need to be listening to experts, but they need to be then conveying those views of experts to the public uh, and, then the, and then listening to the public's response. And so if the public's response is rejection uh, of scientific evidence or believing conspiracy theories, the government then knows it has a job to do to educate and inform. So it's always a two-way process. What concerns me at times is governments do a lot of the informing but when it comes to things like climate change, we're in the mess we're in right now because uh, governments primarily were listening to industry. They were listening to big oil companies and energy companies and coal mining companies who said, no, no, it's vital for the economy. We need this. And they weren't listening to people. And it's only now that huge numbers of people have become extremely angry and are demanding change. But the government has not been. And it's the same with things like the Me Too movement, governments uh, and institutions we're not listening to women. 
Uh, and it's only when people mobilized and made their voices so loud. And, and then it's very tensioned and it's very difficult and it's often too late for some people. So more proactive listening, I would argue, could create better policy, uh, could create a more informed electorate. And hopefully we would not be so far behind in addressing some of the critical issues in society. Because what we're also seeing across the world is um, a reconstruction, if you like, of uh, the makeup of governments and votes are swaying. There's whole countries whose, you know, historic political elite are now being ejected because people are mobilizing and saying, hey, we've been talking, you ain't been listening. So that is also happening. Are you seeing that in, in other jurisdictions? Uh, I'm seeing it uh, growingly. In fact, when I was doing part of my research with government, it was 2016, and I happened to be in the UK, uh, in London, in in Whitehall, when uh, the Brexit vote happened. Uh, and as we all know, Theresa May very soon assumed the, the, the prime ministership. 13 ministers lost their job uh, following that. But Theresa May made a speech very soon after, and I used it on the cover of one of my reports where she said, I'm going to create a democracy you know, for everyone because clearly governments have not been listening. So she actually acknowledged it. Now, we've got a situation, if anyone, and I know in, uh, in Europe and America, they don't follow Australian politics very much, but we just had a national election and we have elected a record number of women into parliament and a record number of independents. We threw out our neoliberal government and we have an entirely different government. And it'll be interesting to see how that operates. So um, it's just amazing to see, uh, you know, our leading ministers are women in the cabinet. We've got indigenous uh, people in our cabinet. So uh, that's the voice of the people at work. But the problem I address is uh, I believe in voting, but we most of us get to vote once every three or four years. And we get one big say and we can make change, but that's not enough. And so organizational listening is saying that governments and institutions and corporations need to have a more ongoing active process of listening. And to me, it's a win-win for everyone because it benefits the citizen, but it also means those organizations have their finger on the pulse. They're able to respond to issues rather than be caught up in crises. And so what typically happens is because they're not listening, eventually when they finally hear the voice of the public, it's too late, there's a crisis on their hands and they're being thrown out of government or the CEO is being fired uh, and so on. With all of the 70 interviews that you've undertaken uh, across many governments, where, where did you find good practice? Um, it's, it's not possible to single out a country. What I found is there's good practice in some areas of government everywhere. There were parts of the UK I found uh, really concerned listening. There are things in Australia. Um, there are parts in the EC where I found deep concern for, you know, they ran the European dialogues to go out and try and listen to people. But in each case, um, they were the stakeholder engagement staff, the communication staff was were, were, were stymied because most of us in communication have a background in writing and making videos and distributing information. And what I've tried to bring out is the skills of listening at scale uh, and in mediated forms are entirely different skills and they require entirely different systems. 
And uh, yes, we've got social media monitoring and, and, and some of those tools available. But when you get into large volumes of voice, you need to go beyond basic monitoring. As I said, you need uh, text analysis, you need machine learning tools um, to be able to process large volumes of data. Uh, in some of the places I've worked, um, I'm finding organizations have call centers that receive several million calls a year. Now, there's voice-to-text software. They're all digitally recorded. We can use VTT, voice-to-text, turn those into text, and we can analyze it. And in a matter of a week or two, we can look at what are the dominant messages coming through. Now, that informs an organization of what it needs to address, what it needs to respond to, so it can benefit the organization. And I've worked with a corporation in Europe where uh, it's retained around 30 million euros a year in customer value because we were analyzing call center data in a very systematic way. And so we're still trying to convince organizations. A lot of organizations are frightened to hear what people are saying. Yeah. But if you don't know what people are saying, you go on doing what you've always done. If you hear what people are saying and can make sense of it, you can actually change your business, you can change your policy, you can adapt, uh, and you can engage with people. Yeah, and I always say, even if you're not listening, they're, they're saying it about you anyway, and it's going to impact you somewhere down the line. So. Are you optimistic and how do government agencies need to reorientate uh, their marketing comms, media departments? Can they insource it? Do they outsource it? What's your advice? It is changing because you're seeing a lot of government agencies uh, establishing a, a, a function called insights, uh, for example. Um, but too often they are still using that to gain intelligence that helps them do their marketing and them do their promotion. Um, so we still are struggling through, I think, a period of sort of neoliberal capitalist uh, economic systems and traditional democracies where the public is sort of treated as the great unwashed and uh, elites tend to believe that they listen to experts and the public won't know. Now, there are some areas, to be fair, there are some areas of policy that are so complex and so technical that governments do need to listen just to the experts and, and make decisions on that. But they still need to take the public with them. And so uh, you're quite right in saying that, uh, you know, there's no option. I, I've published in my book that uh, not listening actually says a lot. When you don't listen, if you think about it in anyone's personal life, so you've got no option to not listen actually says a lot. It says to people, I don't care. I don't want to know what you say. So anyone who's not listening needs to wake up and realize that they're actually saying a lot to, the, to their stakeholders um, and they do need to be listening. Now, you've made um, a fantastic case for active, uh, proactive listening within government agencies. But I have to ask you, I, I know from my own work, the major fear, and I've even read media articles accusing governments of big brother by engaging in social media listening and then governments kind of retreat on their decision. But what about, about that rebuttal about, you know, is an insights department in government, you know, allowing politicians to win future elections, to manipulate information? And are they getting data and information from us that potentially is breaching um, data protection laws? It's a very good question about, you know, there's different types of listening, because we also know that espionage, for example, is listening. And the things that Cambridge Analytica did uh, with Facebook is, is the form of listening. So I'm very careful uh, in all of my writing to say that when we discuss organization, organizational listening, we're talking about open ethical organizational listening. And, and there is a distinction. And uh, 
in when it, when I talk about it, I, I mention technologies, but I also talk about my architecture of listening. And what I mean by an architecture of listening is that it begins with the organization's culture. You have to want to listen to people and you have to want to listen to the right for the right reasons. If you're only listening in order to gain intelligence so you can manipulate their votes or manipulate their buying decisions, that's a very one way exploitive form of listening. So it starts with culture and then policies. There's got to be policies, equitable policies of why we want to listen and who we want to listen to. Uh, in an inclusive way. And then you need the resources, you need the skills, and that's where the technologies then come in. If the technologies come in alone, they can be used for, for bad reasons. And so I say that you need an architecture of listening that's grounded in a culture, in ethics, in, in clear policies, has the resources, has the skills, and then you can apply the technologies in an ethical way that you're gaining insights and understanding of people and you do that in a transparent way. So if people, for example, uh, lodge a complaint or lodge a submission to a public consultation, they are not happy when they don't hear a response. They don't even, some I've seen, they don't even get an acknowledgement. So they want to know they listen to. And when they receive A, an acknowledgement, and then later a report comes out and they can see the issues they talked about in that report, people then feel like the system is working for them. But if you can't see yourself in any of the government's communication, uh, people that's when people disengage. And we have a lot of disengagement in democracy. So what can you do for government agencies? Because many listen to this podcast and they're like me going to be very intrigued by our conversation. So what, what do you do right now based on all your experience and your research? It's a long road to convince uh, organizations because there is also a fear. Uh, in most organizations, there's a fear of two things. One, they fear criticism because they don't like to hear, and they will receive criticism. But there's also a fear um, very big fear that if they listen to people very openly, they will not be able to do all the things they're asked to do. Now, that's very interesting because in research, what we've found is that people actually have very low expectations of government. Most people don't think government will do anything for them. And so that fear is actually ungrounded, but it's very strong. Governments say, oh, we don't want to listen because we won't be able, we don't want to say anything because we may not be able to do it all. Um, what we find uh, in the principles of listening is that you do have to pay attention. You do have to give consideration to people, but you do not have to agree. And many people, when you ask them, uh, after a public consultation, for example, they say, well, you know, I know they can't do everything, but at least they listen to me. And many people will say this, at least they want to be listened to. So we do need to, reason I mention those things, we need to overcome those fears and convince government and other organizations that there are more positives in this. Yes, you could get criticism, but you're, as you rightly said, they're getting the criticism anyway, they just don't know it. And so it's a, it's a no lose because if they don't listen, they simply won't know the criticism. They might sleep comfortably at night, but they are missing out on all that feedback and that information. And so to me, it starts with reducing the fear. And we, anyone who works in communication or stakeholder engagement, we do have to overcome the fear. And secondly, we have to demonstrate there are benefits for the organization. Organizations don't do anything unless they can see benefits. And so I work very hard to work with organizations to show that they could, for in case of government, they could get better policy. Uh, even if it's not better policy, they will get better acceptance of policy if people feel they've had a say. 
um, they'll get less resistance, they'll get less protests, they'll get less swings at the ballot. And so there are a lot of benefits in commercial organizations. We can show tangibly in research that listening to customers retains customers and puts money on the bottom line. And so I think overcoming fear and showing there are benefits in it, and then organizations are prepared to invest and spend to give us the resources and the skills and the technologies we need. Jim, I've been really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Where do you want to direct people uh, who want to get in touch with you? Or I will, I will link the research in the blog post associated with the podcast, uh, of course. But please um, signpost people to where they can find and connect with you. Well, they can find me on, on Twitter as, uh, as Jim McNamara, uh, but also if they Google me, they will find lots of, uh, a lot of my work is open source. So a lot of my research reports are freely downloadable, either from the University of Technology, Sydney, or from London School of Economics, where I also have done a lot of research. So a lot of my research are available on, pub reports are available online. And of course, I have books they can buy if they wish. And listen, thank you so much for being so uh, giving of your time and also your research. And I can't let you go without mentioning the Irish connection as well. Yes, uh, the McNamara's came from County Clare, uh, right very early 1800s. And, and I think they were invited to leave uh, Ireland by the British. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much and um, continued success and uh, congratulations on your great work. Thank you very much. So while we were having a break from the public sector marketing show over the summer, we were busy. So I want to let you in on what's new for 2022 at Public Sector Marketing Institute. If you haven't been following me on social, then you might have missed the fact that my new book, the second edition of Public Sector Marketing Pro, is launching on the 27th of October. It's a book published for the post-pandemic age, and it really is a great read. So put the 27th of October in your diary, and that will be released then. Also happening on the same day is the fourth Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit. And for the very first time, we are offering attendees the option to attend in person at the Mason Hotel in Dublin or to attend online. Tickets are flying out of the computer screens and Sophie is managing that process. So if you want to get your hands on an in-person ticket, you better, better act quick because already 20% of those are gone. Obviously, we have unlimited capacity for uh, online tickets. I'm working on the agenda and that's going to be released very, very shortly. During the summer, we also leaned into short form content and we joined TikTok. So if you're on TikTok, be, be sure to give us a follow. We are at Social Media Pros. We are publishing about seven videos a week. Uh, we've gained about 15,000 video views and over 300 followers in our first month. It's going really well. And as you know, I love to practice what I teach. So I'm really leaning into the TikTok trends. And finally, new for 2022, we have released our autumn winter training calendar for the remainder of the year and into the first quarter of 2023. We have some fantastic 
new courses. We also have revised and updated our signature diploma and certificate courses, and we've introduced some new courses on TikTok, on social PPC advertising, and also on strategy. So have a look at our training calendar. Jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash training hyphen calendar. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code Digital Marketing 20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. As always, we are offering you some free resources, and I'm delighted to let you know that we have a full suite of free webinars coming up between now and the end of 2022. So if you're interested, go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash webinars. And if there's a webinar that you would like us to host, then drop me an email or slide into my DMs and let me know and I will get it on our schedule. We were shortlisted for Best Marketing Podcast in the Irish Podcast Awards. And I want to say a big thank you to everyone who makes this podcast happen, to our producers at Sound to Light and to Niall, to all of you who listen or who watch on YouTube and Facebook, and also to my team at Public Sector Marketing Institute. I absolutely love this podcast, and I know that it brings great value. And while it is a niche marketing podcast, I think it's a great podcast. So hopefully we'll have some good news for you in the upcoming uh, shows to let you know how we did. But uh, we're delighted to be a finalist in the inaugural Irish Podcast Awards. So if you tune into the show, please share it with a public sector pro that you know. That's it for episode 68. I will see you on the next show. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.